Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I am your host, Mary Catherine Hamm. I'm here with my co-host, Vic Mattis of the Washington Free Beacon. We are your morning show for any hour. We are uh, moderately right and moderately reliable, proudly coming to you from the nation's capital-ish. How's it going, Vic? Hello, Mary Catherine. I've been better, and I'll get to that later on the show, but one of the there's two other reasons, minor reasons, why I say I've been better. Because one, I finally finished the John Updike novel, Rabbit Run. Oh, look at and you. Man, it is not a happy ending. It's, you know, a guy leaves his wife and horrible consequences happen. Horrible. And there is the, 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 let the worst Let that be a one, lesson to all of let, you. Let that be a lesson, the selfishness and greed. And so at some point, I remember I couldn't go to sleep. And I was like, you know, I usually read to fall asleep. And, you know, it was just plodding along where I was in the book. And I just happened to hit the worst part of the book. And then I couldn't go to sleep after that. I mean, it is really horrific. And then not only that, but Mary Catherine, I finally finished Breaking Bad. Oh, man. You're, also kinda, not you're a great having ending. a dark it's, week. Yes. It's really a dark week. I, I have to. Okay. Spoiler alert. Can I just say the spoiler alert? I know the show ended 10 years ago, but I'm going to say this mm-hmm. for me. The sort of excitement and the wanting to see what's going to happen next ended with mm-hmm. in the shootout. Did you know that, that? And uh, I knew it was going to happen. I know. Can I tell you one thing real quick? That I was in a situation where I watched one of the worst spoilers happen live to a, to Guy Benson, to my friend. <laughs> it was a Hank spoiler. <gasps> And it was actually, we were at a, uh, having dinner with Essie Cup and she just was not watching Guy's face and not paying attention 100% to the conversation oh, no. and didn't realize that he hadn't finished the series yet. And oh, she just, whoop, that he was like, oh, you could just, yeah. the crest fall No, it really is because, you know, and I was talking to our friend Andy Ferguson about it last week and he said, oh, and he knew I hadn't finished it. He just... It's the way he said it that got me worried. He goes, I know, man. I mean, you know, they really get you rooting for. And I yeah. thought, well, that's a spoiler. And it's a, that? Uh, right. She felt terrible, by the way, but it was oh, a very, my gosh. I've rarely seen a worse spoiler live than that one. It's, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it's not comparable to The Sopranos in the sense that people, a lot of people got their comeuppance and you didn't actually mind it for the right. most part, maybe Adriana, but most people you enjoyed seeing getting you know facing the consequences this one it's and that's the maybe the difference between organized crime and drug dealing is there so many more civilians involved in the mm-hmm. drug dealing world i don't know this is not coming from some a place of experience but getting hammered investigates getting hammered investigates i mean men women children children i mean this is a this is like a, a you know an absolute you cannot break that law in in the mob world and this one was just oh my gosh and that guy i just want to say a young actor not young anymore, uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, who plays Todd. And he does it so well because he's basically your, you know, like a psychopath. He would oh, have yeah. made a he would have made a good Nazi, you know. And I, I was reminded of Adolf Eichmann in Hannah Arendt's book, Eichmann Goes to Jerusalem. And there's a line where Eichmann says that he was told they're probably going to relocate the Jews to British Mandate Palestine. And he said, okay, we'll work on a plan for that. And then later on they tell him, actually change of plans, we're just going to kill them. And he's like, okay, that's fine too. You know, and it's just sort of, and that was this guy talking. Whatever you need. Yeah. Oh, whatever. And it was insane to watch that. Oh, okay. I'm okay, so done. you're, you're I, emotionally exhausted. I'm uh, so you're not, emotionally exhausted. When you're less emotionally exhausted, the follow up, of course, is El Camino, the 
the yes, movie I was tempted to watch Jesse. this. And is it good? I enjoyed it, but I did not enjoy it as much as Better Call Saul. Of course. So. I feel like I should watch El Camino for closure. <laughs> you should. If you there should. is any. Oh, my goodness. Um, speaking of uh, really outdated things that we're consuming right now, I yes. am reading. What about you? What's going I'm on? I'm reading The Little Prince for the first time. Oh, sure. So this is one of the most famous books of all time, right? I mean, does, like, yeah, he's huge. on the lonely on the lonely planet, right? And so yeah. I'm reading it for the first time, and I don't really have a, a verdict yet because I'm just a little bit into it. Aside from, wow, this is odd. It is very strange the things that sort of catch fire, like this. Oh. This being sort of a universally known, yes, book. Yeah. feels odd to me. Like Charlotte, when when people tell me Charlotte's Web is a universally known book, that makes sense to me. Right when I read yes. that, I'm like, this one, odd. It's got a little Alice in Wonderland vibe to it, right? Yes, yes. But more odd than Alice in Wonderland. I've I've laughed several times. I've enjoyed it, but wow. I'm just I'm working through it. So, yeah, what is that? Sansupari? Who's the author? Uh, yes, French dude, right? Yes, yes. Sansupari. Uh, you know what I just realized? Kate's going to listen to this episode and and she hasn't finished Breaking Bad. <laughs> Oh, no. No. You know what? There was a spoiler alert. I'll tell her about it to fast forward. Cut, That's it. Cut it, Jennifer. Oh, no, no, no. We're not doing this to Kate. Oh, yeah, okay. we, we, could ble- we, could, we, could, we could bleep <laughs> We could bleep the part, Jennifer, where I talk about what happened. How yes. about that? Maybe. Oh, my gosh. That's okay. I'll face the consequences. How are you otherwise, Mary Catherine? What's happening? Everything else good? Well, I'm doing fine right after okay. I text Kate to let her know about this. Kill me. No, I'm good. But that's about all that's going on here. We do not have a nanny this week. She's on vacation. Oh. So I did a thing yesterday, which I'll give you guys a little life hack. I have to work during baby nap, right? So if I'm going to get stuff done, yes. it has to be within these hours. The babies are synchronized napping. Look at us. Both uh, of them? They go down at 11 oh, o'clock a.m. and sleep for a couple of hours. Yeah. So I put them down at 11 o'clock a.m. yesterday. I hid my phone from myself. I put my computer on do not disturb. And, and you would down. you would not believe what you can get done in two hours when you're actually working. Yes. No, undisturbed. <laughs> it's amazing. You actually will clear through stuff without the distractions. But one of those, besides babies, the phone. The phone is a huge no, the phone is The phone is actually oh, more relentless. of a problem than yes. real humans. Absolutely. I, I can deal with them. So I put it away. And I got some work done. So speaking of getting work done, we have so much to get to on the show today. Let me do a couple. Summer's uh, over. I know. Let me do a couple uh, news items real quick. Number one, just came across the transom that Aaron Rodgers' season is already done due to an Achilles heel injury. Very sad for him. Pour one out for the olds who try to get out there and do active things. Uh, Sorry for the Jets who got to have this moment where they thought something different might happen and it didn't happen. Uh, They, they, they still, they still won. And they say that, you know, the backup who was the old quarterback was they'd be, he'd been working close with Aaron, but did you see on Twitter, this video that's been going around the 24 second video highlights of Aaron, Aaron Rogers, 2023 season. And it's just Yikes. a picture of him running with the flag. Look, that is a highlight to have on 9-11 for the Jets, right? It's it is. Moving... It is. It is. If you're going to do one thing this season, yeah. oh, no, it just, I, it makes me sad. I hate to let see me, people uh, Let me ask you get this. Injured. Did you, did you see the video of the injury? Yes. And I thought, 
to my eye, it didn't seem like a catastrophic tackle. Yeah. He didn't seem like in, he, he was in a lot of pain. I mean, that right. might just be like Zen Aaron Rodgers and his Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. Right. He's just very, he knows how to sure. deal with that. So I'm surprised that it ended up being a major injury. Yes. Uh, the, the James Woods in me from James Woods from any given Sunday in me is going to say, oh, it's just a hyperextension. He'll be back. Just give him a shot. But no, it turns out. Yeah. It snapped. Makes yeah. me sad. Makes me sad. Okay. okay. Other other news. This is political news from the Hill. This was breaking this morning was McCarthy called for a formal impeachment inquiry into Biden. This is CNN House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy announced Tuesday he is calling on his committees to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, even as they have yet to prove allegations he directly profited off his son's foreign business deals. Notice the press framing of this is is they keep continuing on say- to move. This yeah, is- they keep on saying there's no proof, but I'm well, like, okay, there's well, now stuff. That, actually, yeah. now it's direct is the new operative oh, word. Right, direct proof or directly profited. So if we don't find a check that says bribe in the memo line, and I'm cribbing right. that from Alex that's right. on Twitter. That's, you put the mem- that's what you put in the memo line, too. <laughs> yeah, you want to put that there to be very clear what's going on. Yeah. If we don't find that, there's no direct proof. At any rate, look, he was saying he was going to call, go into this official inquiry. He was expected to do a House vote upon it. But now Jake Sherman reporting from the Hill says the House is not expected to vote on an impeachment inquiry. They will open the inquiry without a vote because it notes this would have been a tough vote for House Republicans. This seems odd. I doubt the wisdom of the entire endeavor, but Speaker McCarthy has been underestimated before. Yes, and he does have a, you know, it's a very, obviously, a very narrow margin for his power. And there was talks of threat of mutiny. But it's not like there's nothing there. I mean, you know, I mean, they can get going with, you know, looking into, you know, we're not saying that, you know, tomorrow they're going to have the vote (laughs) to impeach Biden. But, you know, if you want to have an inquiry, we're just talking about an inquiry. Fine. Yeah, Fine. so I I have a couple thoughts. One, I think there's certainly enough to warrant an inquiry. Yeah. I don't doubt that. The political wisdom of doing that is another issue. We sure. know from every impeachment inquiry that they, certainly in modern history, that they were down to the benefit of the person politically yeah. who yeah. you are inquiring. Right. And so that is interesting to me. Perhaps McCarthy is trying to do the same thing to Biden and have people his have his partisans rally around him as the opposing party has been doing for Trump. Like, let's take the two weakest candidates and just rally everyone around them because that is what will come. That's a very that's a very deep thought. I'm cyn- it, I'm being cynical. Yeah, <laughs> it would it would it would be something to have our two leading candidates either having been impeached one twice and then the other one facing impeachment. And no, it's not good, but it is true. You talk about moving the goalposts, the media. I do remember them saying, you know, he was nowhere near Hunter Biden. He doesn't know right. anything about his business. Right. And he told us that. So why shouldn't we, why should we doubt him to, okay, he was there. Uh, he was there in the same room. Okay. Maybe he was on the phone, but he just talked about the weather to, you know what? It was not actual access, just the illusion of access. No, it's, so. it's remarkable. But I, yeah. I think I, if it were, if, if it were me, I think I would stick with having Ron Johnson and Senator Grassley run this ball as far as they can go and Comer and the oversight committee before going to this, just because I think it sort of keeps your nose clean. You can get access to a lot of things that way. The story has 
changed remarkably with proof gotten from those two avenues. And so I think that's worth doing for as long as possible before you do this other thing. But again, maybe McCarthy is outfoxing me and he's just going to rally everyone behind the very unpopular Democratic incumbent so that they can't replace him with someone else better. Okay. Right. So that's going on. Not to be misunderestimated as a great president once (laughs) said. Yes. So that's going on. Another quick news item. Governor Glenn Youngkin, who was on Fox News Sunday this week, I was also there. Not as important a guest as he was. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, this is the Wall Street Journal editorial page, has done a good deed by pardoning a Loudoun County father. He announced this on Fox News Sunday, who protested the assault on his daughter and the school's attempt to cover it up. This is a proper use of the pardon power power to correct an injustice by a local Democratic prosecutor who criminalized free, if angry, speech. Now, this is the story of Scott Smith, a father in Loudoun County whose daughter was the, the victim in an attack in a bathroom in a Loudoun County high school. The Loudoun County school board systematically hid this fact, covered up facts about it, protected the perpetrator, did not protect the young woman and the other people no. in the situation or other possible future victims, which there is one, by the way. Yeah. Instead, what they did is they covered up that all this happened. They sent the perpetrator to another high school yeah. where then he did the same thing again. This assault happened in a women's bathroom. What's important about this is that the Loudoun County School District at the time was considering policies that would make bathrooms... Gender fluid. Gender fluid, right. That people could go to bathrooms based on the identification of their gender as opposed to their biological gender. This was a controversial policy. They did not want stories of sexual assaults inside school bathrooms interfering with the passage of this measure. Right. So what they did is they hid this. The dad knew what was going on. He comes to the school board and says, I can't believe you're not protecting my kid. What is happening? He yells at them. He uses profanity. As we now know, he absolutely should have. He was taken down, tackled by police, charged with disorderly conduct, and I believe several other things, and was actually facing a trial date next week. Unbelievable. Even though in the interim, what we have learned is that Loudoun County was lying. They were covering this Mm -hmm. up. They did have him arrested to distract from the fact that they were covering this up and make him the bad guy. Right. And the governor was like, nah, you get a pardon. That to me is so obviously the correct move. And yet several Democratic state senators in, the, in Virginia have said, wow, Governor Youngkin, can't believe you're doing this politicized pardon. But And by the way, we wouldn't know about the Loudoun County assault had twice over, yeah. two victims, had Governor Youngkin not become governor and then investigated. That's right. He issued the investigation. And since then, people involved in that cover up have been let go and or I believe indicted in some cases. Yeah. Like this is a bad situation. Yeah, Scott no. Smith was 100 percent in the right here. That's right. There are officials who were forced to step down in the face of this when the uh, facts had come out. If you remember... What, what sparked the outrage was, I believe, Scott Smith being told that it didn't happen. Right. And you can imagine. And then there was a backlash after it was after news broke, right, that 
In fact, this, you know, his daughter had been raped in the, in the, in the bathroom by this guy. Then, then, because people are so driven to prove this wrong, they said, right. oh, wait a minute. They knew each other. You know, therefore, it was consensual. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It was consensual. Ha, gotcha. But no, you know what? It, it might have started that way. And they, yeah, I'm not going to say that they didn't know each other, but at the end, it's still what it, it was, what it was. Yes. And not only that, he would, got transferred to another school very quietly and then committed a sexual assault again. Right. Um, it's, it's remarkable, by the way, what this kind of stuff gets turned into yeah. in service of the narrative. That's right. Exactly. As, as your point shows. And also the Wall Street Journal notes correctly, the press treated Mr. Smith's verbal protest as part of some larger right wing campaign of violence. That's right. The National School Boards Association cited the episode as an example of potential domestic terrorism in a letter to President Biden. Again, this is a father. Mm -hmm being mad at his school board at a public meeting on yeah. a microphone because they lied to him about the sexual assault of right, his Right, they're child. dismissive. Yeah. Attorney General Merrick Garland followed with a letter asking the FBI and U.S. attorneys to investigate threats against local school boards that haven't materialized. These actions appear to have been an attempt to fit Mr. Smith into the Democratic Party's portrayal of conservative critics of government as motivated by hatred. He was understandably angry. He was correct. And nonetheless, the narrative can be made into something quite misleading okay. when you don't know these facts, which we thankfully know now. Yeah. A, because of Smith standing up for himself and B, because of Youngkin being elected. That's right. And if, if, you, if you recall, after that outbreak occurred and he was arrested, that's what sparked not only their concerns about, you know, these parents working in some sort of right wing cabal to overthrow them or whatever, but also they're urging the FBI to get involved yeah. because these are the, they're the equivalent of domestic terrorists. Right. I mean, the parents the federal... are domestic terrorists. Please FBI monitor these people for us. Federal law enforcement should obviously get involved when fathers are angry that yeah. schools have lied to them about the yeah. sexual assault of their daughters. I yeah, mean, yeah. if we can't keep those guys in line, then let's get the feds in here. Sur yeah, surveil, right? surveil them and, and the Catholics. Amazing it's stuff. Really I, have a, I have a clip from my buddy Guy Benson who sums it up nicely just to put a bow on this one. It's important to remember the school district, the officials on that board, the superintendent, were lying. Yep. So they had this bathroom situation with trans bathroom, gender neutral stuff, and they wanted to push through that agenda, whether you agree or not with them, they told the public that there was no record of any sexual assaults in a bathroom at the school when, in fact, they knew mm -hmm. this assault had taken place. So that dad got righteously furious because of it, and he was right all along. Since then, finally, since he was arrested, there have been firings, yep. there have been indictments against the people who covered this up. But at the time, Republicans were demonized by Democrats. There was a governor election in my state mm -hmm. where, thank goodness, Governor Yunkin won, from my perspective, so he could be in a position to issue this pardon. But Barack Obama came in to campaign on behalf of his opponent, Democrat Terry McAuliffe. And Barack Obama referred to this whole situation as a trumped-up and phony culture war. Yep, there's nothing phony about what so, happened in Loudoun County. To what this whole case to me is just amazing. It's one of these stories that I have to always look up the details before yeah. I retell it because when I think of the details, it seems so wrong that I think maybe I've got it wrong, but I don't have it wrong. And now it's righted because he has been pardoned. Yes. So I appreciate that, that happening this week. And we have more news.
Speaking of the tyrannies coming down on the regular citizens. Oh, we got a big story out of New Mexico, my friend. Huge story. Speaking of Breaking Bad. (laughs) Yes, actually. It sets the stage for this story. This one is remarkable. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham said she will enact a temporary ban on carrying firearms in any public space across Bernalillo, how do you say that? Bernalillo County. County. The governor made the announcement during a news conference Friday. She says some wild things in this setting. She's sitting alongside the Albuquerque police chief and Bernalillo County Sheriff. The governor says part of this new order is a 30-day suspension on open and concealed carry on public property for anyone other than law enforcement or licensed security. I've warned everyone that we expect a direct challenge in the courts, obviously. Probably as you're writing this, we're getting a challenge, and that's the way it should work. She she said she has the right to suspend constitutional guarantees because yeah. this is an emergency of gun violence in her state, and she needs to make a statement. And in doing so, she's just going to abridge those constitutionally guaranteed rights for law-abiding citizens with guns. Yeah, no, I mean, it's as she said, the Constitution is not absolute, you know, right? Her oath is not absolute. I think she says something to that effect. And I think it's actually in the New Mexico Constitution that governors are allowed to declare state of emergencies on anything and then do whatever you want. Right, that's how it works. Just go crazy. There is no limit. as Well, there's no limit as long as you're lefty. Yes. That's fine. That's right. You know, this goes back, by the way, to the whole, in order to save democracy, we must destroy it. Obviously. Uh, platform. This is not good. And I knew it wasn't good when the gun control advocate kid, not really a kid anymore, David Hogg, and Democratic Congressman Ted Lieu were like, I think she overstepped. Yeah. Let's, by the way, let's give them a love to hear it because Ted yeah. Lieu actually said, you really can't do this just right. because you say there's any emergency that you can think of. So good on him for one yeah. moment. I wonder, did somebody do a snap poll and realize that this was not a good idea? Tim Carney of the Washington Examiner rightly notes that this is an extension of emergency powers being used during COVID yeah. for all sorts of things. He notes, that's right. and this, is, this was true in my state at times as well under a Democratic governor, In the Democratic-run county where I lived in 2020, Tim says the county government banned even outdoor church services, which was clearly a suspension of the freedom of assembly and the free exercise of religion. He goes on to say COVID-19 was terrible for a thousand reasons, one of which was that it gave mayors and governors a taste of dictatorial power. Now we're seeing how far they will take it. Yeah, that's right. With COVID, we saw this COVID state of emergency that gave executives across the country enormous powers to be able to do basically whatever they wanted. And how did that work out? You know, not really great. Again, declaring state emergency is just, it's a bad idea because it it just seems very open-ended. And it also, I don't know if you, this is not to say that they don't have, obviously Albuquerque has a very serious crime problem, but the solution is not to prevent law-abiding citizens from being able to conceal carry. Right. Because it's like, I don't know, if you have a sign that says, you know, gun-free school zone, does the insane school shooter say, oh, I was just about to do it. Now I saw the sign. I'm not going to do that. You know, well, I mean, it's, it, I'll, or it, it doesn't deter them. The deterrence is gone. All it is is they know, OK, great. I'll be the only one with a gun here. And well, it's the same thing with any of these other cities 
that try to ban guns. And the only people who abide by this are the law-abiding citizens. The, the criminals are still going to get it on the black market. So sheriffs and law-abiding citizens are engaging in some civil disobedience here, gathering while obviously open carrying to say, no, they will not be abiding by this. She really had some remarkable takes in her press conference, one of which I believe was just sort of to say, look, one, she's like, we got to do something, so I'm going to do this. Well, you're not allowed to do that. And doing something, so we're going to do this, is actually just not good governance. The other one was, she sort of implies that like, well, we're just going to cut down on any confusion by cutting out all these law-abiding people who might carry guns. And then obviously all that's left is the criminals. <laughs> it's like, so that's going to just like simplify things for yeah. law enforcement or something. It's a very, it's so weak. It's so wrong. This has happened. Need I remind us that in the state of North Carolina, the governor declared a state of emergency for public education just to disrupt legislation he didn't like. Yeah. These are tyrannical moves. They are. That's what they are. They're like, I'm not getting my way. So I'm just suspending the normal way of doing things. If these were Republican governors who dare do things like limit curriculum decisions. Right. We would be hearing nothing but this. Oh, my God. The outrage. outrage, And it goes back to Obama. Right. Obama saying that we can't wait. We can't wait for Congress to act. Therefore. I'll just make it happen. Magic wand, executive well, order, whether, whether it be Obamacare as a tax or DACA or whatever. Well, and this know? is the problem is that if the gentleman's agreement has been violated, that we kind of don't do things that we know are unconstitutional and we're not allowed to do right. because the fact is, and this is an Obama move was, hey, I know that I can't do DACA. I know I can't do the dreamers. He mm-hmm. said it many, many times. Yeah. And they just went ahead and did it because his calculation, and it was basically correct, was that it would take so long to get through the courts. That's right. That he would get his way anyway, and the perhaps the public would be on his side, and it would not get oh. overturned. He, so he, yeah. it was basically a good calculation strategically. Not good right. for the country, not good for the powers of the executive. Or but why worry good. about those long-term issues when the short-term gain is so good so then biden has done similar things yeah with what's what's the most recent oh it's the the student loan and just saying like yeah i know i can't do this but we're gonna do it anyway charles cook has a a modest proposal yes which is to make he's of national review is to make this governor live by her own values which is to say it's an emergency that you have suspended this because of an emergency so we're going to arrest you That's without right. a warrant and without cause. He says, put her in prison for 30 days without a trial, raise her taxes to 100% without an appropriations bill, take her property without a reimbursement, quarter some troops in her home, impose an excessive fine, hit her with a bill of attainder, imposed ex post facto if possible, and for good measure, prevent her from claim- complaining about it by imposing a month-long gag order to be lifted once this emergency is gone. His point, of course, is that, hey, if you guys want to live lawlessly then two can play this game. Yeah. I think the problem is this becomes so uneven because as long as the press is on your side for suspending rights for the right reasons, no one's feet are held to the fire. This one does seem to have gone a little bit too far for people's taste, though. Like, it's a yeah. little too plain. Even for them, I mean, if they do polling on this, I think most people are going to say, you know, she went too far. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, I, I read the story and then I go to the comments, you know, in the post or wherever, 
And you have a lot of people saying it's about time. I know. It's about time you save democracy by suspending it. You know, yes. I mean, it's it, it, it's just really quite, quite shocking. It's a benevolent uh, it, suspension of democracy. Yeah. Also, also the 30 day, you know, until until the crimes, you know, go low, just like with cases. Remember COVID cases that, you know, we will the the, the emergency is lifted. If we find some arbitrary number, we'll right. decide and that's, 14, uh, you know, and 14 what's days the number and, yeah. to stop the spread of freedoms. Yeah. That's what and, and yeah. And so, I mean, what's what's the number in Albuquerque? I don't know. But again, these things don't actually solve the problem because it allows people bad actors will are not going to be deterred. This, uh, I don't think. I mean, if you look at, you know, you know, go anywhere across the country, major cities that do not have concealed carry laws, right? If you look at Chicago, for example, and and the, and the mayor over there, he, he only, what he has to resort to is saying, anybody who criticizes my record on crime is a racist. That's what he says. And you had some uh, Chicago city officials asking gang members can you not shoot people during the daytime hours can you limit your murders tonight there you that's go. what they're instead of actually going after these people and arresting people god forbid you arrest the people who commit the crimes it's always somebody else's fault it's like they're they're going after the car manufacturer kia right because oh it's too easy to jack your car oh to, hide gosh, it, yes. to, to break into your car it's not the person who's doing can't blame them no and i think at some point people have enough yeah. And we may see this. I am glad that the rally in New Mexico, where people were expressing their Second Amendment rights, were not confronted by the sheriff. And that, right. could you imagine how that would work? Well, out? sheriffs are elected, and they're yeah. elected in the state of That's, New Mexico, yeah. where where lawful folks, who are mm -hmm. generally the ones who are voting regularly, do not want to lose the ability to protect themselves during a giant right. crime wave. Speaking of the tyrannies. Once again, we have a theme. We have a theme today, Vic. Yes. Here's, here's, but here's another bit of good news for us. Oh. The Fifth Circuit Court on appeal agreed that the federal government needs to stop jawboning, yeah. shutting down speech it does not agree with by using social media as a proxy. That indeed, the federal government during the pandemic violated people's First Amendment rights by telling social media companies, shut these people up because they do not agree with us. And there's a great piece in the free press that sort of lays out what this really means by Dr. J. Bhattacharya, is that how I say yep. it? At Stanford. I always call him Dr. J because I don't want to <laughs> butcher that. But he's at Stanford and he was a, a guy who wrote and posted the Great Barrington Declaration Yeah. in, a, in fall, of, a fall of 2020, which set off a bunch of federal government alarms, at which point he was throttled everywhere and censored everywhere on various platforms. He was one of the people who went to court to defend himself over this, along with some state attorneys general. And on Friday, he writes, at long last, the circuit court ruled that we were not imagining it, that the Biden administration did indeed strong arm social media companies into doing its bidding. The court found that the Biden White House, the CDC, the U.S. Surgeon General's Office and the FBI, quote, engaged in a years-long pressure campaign on social media outlets designed to ensure that the censorship aligned with the government's preferred viewpoints. He writes about this as a, as a naturalized American citizen. He became a citizen around 20 years old after his parents had moved there from now Bangladesh. He says, my parents had taught me that people here could criticize the government even over matters of life and death without worry that the government would censor or suppress us. 
But over the past three years, I have been robbed of that conviction. American government officials working in concert with big tech companies have attacked and suppressed my speech and that of my colleagues for criticizing official pandemic policies. Criticism that has been proven prescient. So not only were they censored for being on the wrong side of the government, it also prevented the rest of us from getting access to correct information, yeah. it turns out. because As it turns out, because they're so certain about it at the time that they're right, that the other people have to be wrong. And if they're wrong, they must be well suppressed. And by the way, if you're wrong, you're still allowed to talk. That's a whole thing. <laughs> no, guys. that's crazy. That's crazy talk. And you're seeing this, by the way, Mary Catherine, at the university level, where it starts off with, you know, there's certain things you just can't talk about, and therefore you should not be allowed to talk about it because it's it's wrong and it's dangerous. And then it just, you know, progresses to, well, I don't agree with you, therefore you should not be allowed to talk. And these are not, I mean, Jay Bhattacharya is no idiot. You know, he, he's a doctor. And that uh, Barrington Declaration was very sound, and it could have saved us a whole lot of time, money, efforts, our health and well-being if we focused on that instead of what we did and shutting everything down for so long, uh, for as long as we did. It's really, I feel like we should be more, we as, as, as Americans, not just you and me, obviously, we're all worked up about this, but that we should be more outraged and wanting to hold these people accountable. But good luck finding any story about this on CNN or MSNBC right now. Well, yeah. And he notes, speaking of saving us damage and suffering, because the suffering of COVID was real and going yeah. to exist right. in some measure, regardless of what public policy did. Mm -hmm. What happened was, and he writes, in with hindsight, it is clear that the strategy from places like Sweden, which in large part eschewed lockdown and after early problems embraced focus protection of older populations that countries like it had among the lowest age adjusted all cause ex excess death than nearly every other country in Europe and suffered none of the learning loss exactly. for its elementary school children. Similarly, Florida has seen lower cumulative age adjusted all cause ac excess deaths than lockdown obsessed California since the start of the pandemic. And in the case of both of these places in Georgia is another example, when when you err on the side of freedom, which is what we should do in America regardless, because right. we are allegedly protected in this way, um, you don't get the losses, the learning loss. You don't get uh, the loss of freedom itself, the, uh, which is right. valuable, the uh, loss of opportunities to worship and, uh, and right. fellowship with people, which the isolation was incredibly damaging for many people. The uh, opportunity to go to school, which it turns out right. is very healthy. Uh, for young people, those places didn't lose that stuff. And we weren't allowed to have a real conversation about what that might look like. Yeah. And that was a disservice to everyone. It's it's also pathetic, by the way, when you look at the results and the findings of this case, how both sides, the private sector and the federal government, sort of blame each other. Therefore, neither of them are to blame. Of course. That's the government. That is the, that is the anthem of COVID policy. It really is. Oh, no, no. It's, you know, look, I, there's no law. We didn't force anybody to do anything. We were just recommending. These are suggestions by the, I don't know, federal government or the FBI or whoever. And you look at the transcripts from these executives and social media companies like Facebook saying, wow, well, you know, they're really honest on that. We should probably do something and let's block these people or censor these people. We're going into monitor what people are saying. And if it doesn't, if, if it doesn't jive with 
what the government wants us to say, we will remove it because that's, you know, that's the United States of America. That's how we roll. And <laughs> apparently even, now know, it, it yeah. was an attempt at it. It's shocking. You know, they're monitoring people's speech. Yeah. And uh, once, once again, yeah. I will note that, of course, of course, you're getting a bunch of journalists in light of this noting, oh, my gosh, this is a real blow to the government's very responsible attempts to limit yeah. misinformation yeah. because journalists are pro-government censorship oh, in oh, a sure. very real way. Yeah, they are now. It's they're remarkable. Just they're just carrying their water rather than being, you know, again, it used to be in the 60s and the 70s, you know, where the left was so suspicious of big government. Now that because they are big government, they just embrace it. Well, ACLU is the same way. Amazing. Yeah. Let's talk about hindsight, shall we? Governor Gavin Newsom. Oh, yeah. Is getting a bit of a, you love to hear it from some sectors, for speaking to Chuck Todd of Meet the Press about California's pandemic response and what he conducted there. Let's just... This is a bit of a long clip, but I'm going to go ahead and go through it and I'll stop it here and there in comments. Sure. So let me. Sure. During COVID, um, you, you were pretty strict with the lockdowns here. And uh, there was an interesting piece in Harper's that sort of was criti critical of your decisions from this perspective. You found a way to allow the motion picture industry and, Southern, and, the, and the sort of the movie industry to get back to work. But she didn't allow people to grieve together at funerals or at churches. And that it sort of, and that this may be why there's such a polarized disconnect. What, what you prioritize, right, this is this anger between the populace and the elite, supposedly. Here, you prioritize this industry, but, you, you know, you were tougher on those that just wanted to go worship. First, I'd like to note how gentle this question is <laughs> it's like maybe uh, everything he's saying is true he said movies you go ahead yep. do your business yep. you make us Strip a lot clubs, of money tattoo parlors, i'm into tattoo. movies i understand yeah. movies i don't understand church you guys even though that's your constitutionally guaranteed right that's you guys exactly, stay at home you cannot that's exactly have any what he's saying yeah. okay so implied. Implied. Gentle, implied 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 gentle framing here okay um, a, what do you say to that, Chris? I think there's a lot of humility, and we didn't know what we didn't know, and it was hardly I. Uh, it was we, collectively. I and I think all of us, in, in terms of our collective wisdom, we've evolved. We didn't know what we didn't know. We're experts in hindsight. We're all genius. We uh, didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know what I'm we didn't say know. That. That's going to be my fallback from now. So in this framing, you have a collective we. He's just just yeah. go ahead and foist any responsibility. <laughs> Yeah, off yeah of we, we didn't know that we might include you too, Mary Catherine. No, it could be everybody. We didn't know what we didn't know. Well, he knew a few things because he, he sent sure his did. kids to private schools. That's right. When so everybody else couldn't. He knew that kids could go to school. I believe yeah. his kids were maskless earlier than right. the rest of the sure. population. And of course, kids were going to school in Europe and we knew that too. Mm -hmm. He also knew that you could without go to getting vaxxed. He knew that you could go to restaurants without dying because he did it. He went to the French, French laundry. laundry. Um, he knew even that you could hold a whole Super Bowl in your most populous city and that that would be okay. We weirdly, often with no, no masking in sight while children were still masking in schools at that time. By the way. So uh, he knew a lot of yeah. things. He yeah. knew a lot of things and he was engaging in those things. Not, not to get you all 
fired up, but you mentioned the, the Super Bowl and stuff like that. Do you remember sporting events where they put the cutouts in the audience? <laughs> yes. Stuffed animals. That's really kind of sad. Now you, was- you couldn't have humans in there. God forbid you had one per. You know, you couldn't even have like a thousand people in a, in a twenty eighty thousand seat stadium uh, in the beginning. There was nobody allowed. Right. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. With the, are- the photo, the photo of Gavin Newsom at the football game, was it him or was it one of his colleagues? Who had said in the photo, oh, don't worry, I held my breath because one of them said <laughs> I that. I think it was because, one oh, of his colleagues. Yeah, because, oh, I held and my breath. Of course, there were radically different rules for different things. Right. The Super Bowl was allowed. Again, it made a lot of money. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that he, it wasn't that he wanted to be at the Super Bowl and he knew it would make money for the state and therefore that was fine. Whereas like, you know, your local barbecue joint can't have anyone yeah. eat yeah. outdoors. Or again, church. Also, can we talk about hindsight because there were some people who knew in real time that these things were a bad idea and acted accordingly certainly the governor of georgia the governor of florida who he tries to throw under the bus with the trump saying as the trump people do that he was pro lockdown so anyway let's let's move on let's hear a little more from from governor hindsight here so think about what we what you what you ended up collectively prioritizing you're prioritizing industry you know one one specific one but then didn't prioritize maybe ones that whose maybe values you didn't connect with. I don't think it's a binary. There was iterations within that theme. There was there was fits and starts. There were regional frameworks mm-hmm. uh, that had impacts more broadly defined. There were more industry specific uh, uh, frameworks. All of us went through a process. I mean, there was few states that didn't go into aggressive lockdowns, including uh, Florida's Ron DeSantis. No, I understand that, but it was and, more but of... With, but within the framework who, of the Who industries. opened the door? It's what industry got yeah. leniency in which, yeah, which no, one like, state. All of it is legitimate in terms of reflection. All of it right. is legitimate in terms of processing lessons learned. We went through a process. I actually had at Sunnylands, which is the Camp David on the West Coast. Right. We brought together experts across the spectrum, people that supported our efforts, mm-hmm. people that opposed them, international experts. And we spent three days really reflecting, stress testing what we did right, what we did wrong. We're actually putting out a report as it relates to our own lessons learned. I think this country would do well to advance a similar construct, not through the lens or prisms of an ideology, uh, but through you the framework. You think there should be almost of, like a 9-11 commission on what well, lessons learned from been, this pandemic? There's been versions of that, mm-hmm. uh, but they're immediately dismissed within the prism of our partisan frame. And right. so I'm at least trying to work across that and in context of all what our is something you do differently? He's deeply interested in reflecting, Vic. He wants to reflect. Yeah. And the important thing to remember is that other people made it partisan, not yeah. him. Oh, it no, wasn't. No, no. It wasn't him, even though. By the way, just to speaking of the tyrannies once again. By the way, they passed a whole law in California just saying that you can't say things the government doesn't like about COVID if you are a doctor, oh, yeah. and they're about to. They're about to undo that law because it was so blatantly insane that they're like, "Mm, yeah, because what is it? This one, if if, it does, do their policies ever change? And if their policies change, does that affect what doctors say? Because maybe the doctors said something they were ahead of the curve and said something was, you know, right before the uh, government admitted it was right. Do they get their license back? Because you're right. You're talking about in California, how doctors, if they didn't toe the line, 
they could lose their medical license if they were to advise you against maybe getting a vaccine. But but we're really, the, we, know. the ones who argue that that's a bad idea, we're oh. the ones who politicize science. That's right. That's we're, right. we're the oh. problem, okay? Yeah. And also, the, the government, in its great wisdom, because of all the reflection and the hindsight, will somehow magically know in real time what is real and what is not, and that's why right. they should be in charge of this. It's great. It's great stuff. Okay, let's hear a little bit more. What would he change after all this reflection? Because we understood. We would understand outdoors, as an example. Class. The nature. You wouldn't have shut schools down. You had to try to figure out how to maybe have outdoor classrooms. No, no, not. Well, now you're getting into I'm, I'm being. I'm, but but right. I think the nature of the spread early on and understanding the epidemiology of that spread, understanding mm -hmm. the spread in the context of how it spread very differently indoors mm -hmm. than outdoors is one perfect example of what a lot of us would have done differently, including, again, in states, red mm -hmm. states, that shut down their beaches right. in the early part of the pandemic. I think a deeper understanding around mask and mask wearing. and yeah. couple things. Chuck Todd just doing his dangdest to give the <laughs> correct answers to the governor. He's like, yeah. maybe schools? Maybe yeah. you wouldn't have shut... No, that's not it. What he says that he would have changed is like, I guess we would have acknowledged that outdoor transmission really was less of a problem. And how could we have known that? We knew that very early, guys. We knew yeah. that outdoors was safer than indoors almost immediately. Yeah. And we knew that old, like at the same time we learned that old people were more at risk than young people, we knew right. that outdoors right. was okay. And, and in particular that so children much. are not a major vector for spreading COVID. Uh, Certainly, yes. you know, the fear about the, the kids giving it to the teachers or killing their grandparents, et cetera. It was insane what happened in school. And they're acting like, well, you know, we didn't know at the time. And the rest of us are looking at it like, okay, the idea of these bubbles that everybody were in or that, you know, you had here in the schools in this in the district that we're in, you know, you had a hybrid, right? You had a hybrid where you had, you know, you come into school on Tuesdays and Thursdays and these other kids come into school Thursdays and Fridays and nobody comes to school on Monday because it's an administrative day. Well, and on the administrative day, we Clorox everything and lice all the desks oh, because yeah. we know that it is service transition, except it's not. Anyway, so- These laws that don't make sense, by the way, and I remember this because I talk about this all the time, which was like in the District of Columbia, after 10 p.m., you must remove booze from the table. COVID. COVID state of emergency. <laughs> COVID's going to spread at 10.01. You're going to get it from the bottle of wine. Also, why does this man have the nerve to laugh yeah. at other states for allegedly having shut down beaches? Sir, sir, mm -hmm. please reflect on yourself. Okay. Around mask and mask wearing and yeah. N95s, CAN95s, you go through a process across the spectrum in terms of being prepared, issues related to uh, how we uh, fundamentally address the distribution of vaccines and the prioritization. You want to talk about prioritizations early on. Mm -hmm. In terms of those vaccines, you go through a series of things. Uh, and there's so many things we could have done differently. You think this country can handle another pandemic or do you think it would break us? I think we have to. We're a resilient country, so it wouldn't break us. But uh, I'm not convinced we've learned the lessons from the last one. And I think science took a big hit. I think health. Yeah, read the history health books of 1918. We're still trying to figure out. Yeah, no, and I, but, but that's, I mean, that's Pandemics alarming. divide people. That's alarming. It should be alarming to all of us that that all of a sudden health became partisan. Uh, and that's something we're going to pay a big price. You're right. Going forward. But it won't break us because we're remarkably resilient. Mm. Mm. This is a nothing of an answer. <laughs> this is no accountability. No. The only thing he can see is people are ever going to be like, you know, well, we got it wrong. Sorry. Yeah. And then, by the way, again, Chuck Todd, great Power assist grab. here. Great assist. Just handing him. Yeah. 
an out on this instead of asking, by the way, why did science take a hit? What for what reason did science take a hit, guys? Right. Like let's let or ask him, would you open schools if you had it to do over again? He's not gonna say yes because the unions are gonna get mad at him. So we can't say it. maybe push him on that instead of saying, Well, well, this is me, this is chucked out. Well, well, you know, 1918 was pretty tough too. <laughs> like it's your job yeah. to make him answer some questions here. And although sometimes I'm inclined to say when people sort of climb down off their COVID high horse high a bit horse. to say thank you. In this case, this is just nonsense yeah. as far as I can tell. Yeah. And this is also Chuck Todd's, that was his farewell hosting episode, wasn't it? Well, we'll yeah. be worse off, I'm sure. He, he, I was going to say on the one hand, oh, he'll be missed, but he actually might. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what's coming next? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I look forward to the commission from yeah. the 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 higher ups in California. It's going to be Joy Reid, the new. Oh, by the way, the new uh, Meet the Press. <laughs> to host, tell us, Joy Reid. Oh God! No. <laughs> yeah, she's part of the NBC family. Yeah. Sure. Here we go. Anyway, the commission of reflection from California's leaders yeah. who didn't know anything in real time, even though we had data. I'm sure it'll be fascinating. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. But Wonderful. I gotta say. He is ready for the primetime stage, which for, oh. a, which for a Democratic figure means yeah. a lot of this, just like, what do you, th- what do you feel? What do you think? Yeah, well, not yet. Not, like, let not me hand yet. you some he talking that. points. My, a good friend of mine, who is now actually a, a, a judge, so I won't say her name, but she used to love to throw around the term a snag. You know a snag? Sensitive new age guy. And that's him. He's a, that's he, him. He's a, yeah, Evan Newsom is a snag. Also, you know, the bar is set so low now because of Biden that, you know, anybody who can talk and doesn't fall asleep or says, I'm going to bed, you know, is going to or say, I was there on 9th of September 12th. You know, it's going to be a miracle. Be like, oh, my gosh, the person, this, this is like John F. Kennedy Jr. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up, Vic. Oh, right. Because one of the things we need to oh. cover. Oh. Is President Biden's, is he ready for the primetime stage? Because, yeah. well, it depends on, depends on what time it is at primetime, mm-hmm. I guess. We have Biden speaking in Vietnam. We talked about, we talked about at the conference overall, we talked about stability. We talked about making sure that the third world, the, uh, excuse me, third world, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Southern Hemisphere had access to change. It had access. We, it wasn't confrontational at all. Thank, thank you, everybody. This ends thank, the press thank, conference. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. With every person I met with. That right there is the president. He's great. Losing his train of thought, his staffers cutting him off because they realize that's what's happening. And then what appears to be a live jazz trio playing him off the stage Oscar style. I I have to tell you, at first I was going to say I wanted to talk about his line about saying I'm going to bed, right? He says I'm going to bed. Maybe he really does want to go to bed because it's what, 12, 13 hours time difference I for mean, Vietnam. Same He's, girl, same, but like, I'm not saying it in public. And 
I think, you know, and maybe he's just sleep deprived, but it's the way he said it because he seemed very aware when he said it and he was just going to share that with us. The the other thing, however, is I do kind of like that little jazz exit music. And I have to say, it reminds me of the kind of music they sometimes used to play in Chinese restaurants. Can I say, is that, is, am I allowed to say You're that? allowed to say that, Vip. I Because as, you know, I know we're in Vietnam. I know it's in Vietnam, but I can say it. It's, you know, close enough to my people. But they always play this kind of, you know, smoothish kind of jazzish kind of music sometimes at these places rather than just, you know, your traditional ethnic music. They always play this kind of just calm music. And then right. it, was, it was calming music for Joe Biden. Smooth, smooth jazz. Yes. On the yes. Alexa. No, but but what do they say? They say, no, he was done with questions. End of story. There's nothing to see here. Well, and here's the New York Times framing. Are you ready for this? Oh, man. Look, again, we can see this with our eyeballs, yeah. guys. Like, we're, we're watching yeah. this. It's on tape. Biden's news conference in Vietnam ignites his opponents. Oh, a new pounce just dropped, Vic. Wow. New Add pounce. to the... Add to the thesaurus, add to the synonyms for pounce. The president's ignites. top aides believe that stories about the president's age and health are stoked by his enemies in an effort to undermine his accomplishments. Like, great, but it's not, that's not actually reporting. Re- reporting would be on the thing that happened. Yeah. You can add his staff's take on that thing that right. happened, but this entire story yeah. is just. Republicans igniting and pouncing. We're like we're like Mario with the fireballs. We yeah, pounce no, and we is, ignite. That's what we that's do. The, the real story here, it's not that Joe Biden seemed tired and confused because that's actually just part for the course. He's fine and he's very wise. No, the story is how Republicans are weaponizing his age and wisdom. <laughs> oh, goodness. Speaking of which, yes. he also, we got to get to this one. Well, on the anniversary of 9-11, somewhat controversially. The first president not to be at one of the sites. Yes. A weird choice. I know it's it's not a big milestone year, but to those who are affected, which is many, many, many generations of Americans, every year is a milestone for this one. It's been 22 years. He was not in D.C. or New York. Mm -hmm. And when he spoke about his 9-11 experience, he told another fib, Vic. Here, we'll play a little audio of that. To renew our sacred vow, never forget, never forget. We never forget. Each of us, each of those precious lives stolen too soon when evil attacked. Ground Zero in New York, and I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building, I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looked so devastating because the way you could, the way from where you could stand. He wasn't at Ground Zero on no. September 12th. He came about a week later. It sounds a bit like he might have cribbed this story from Hillary Clinton. Wow. Who I believe also used gates of hell. And this is... Well, uh, he cribs. Well, that's his MO is he cribs. Right. Well, and as I've said before... Like when he left the the Medal of Honor. Yes, another situation with, yeah. People will say, oh, it'll be framed as there's a perception that this is disrespectful. It's disrespectful. It's just disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And even if he doesn't realize it's what he's doing, which by the way, that's not a good scenario either. 
Right. It's still disrespectful because you can't pull it together well enough to honor either a Medal of Honor recipient or the yes. people who lost their families on this day. In the Medal of Honor ceremony, of course, that was for the Vietnam vet Larry Taylor, the Army captain. And they said, well, he had to leave. They gave him the music to exit to because he didn't want to get him sick or expose him, even though, by the way, the president, because, you know, Dr. Jill Biden has COVID, even though she had, what, five, five shots, maybe? Right. Yeah. She got the COVID. He tested negative and he has no symptoms, but we're making him wear a mask to be safe. Oh, but take off the mask when you're going to give the Medal of Honor to no, it, um, it, that was Larry just Taylor. A, that was just a made up thing, it's, man. It's it, just, it, it's a mess. And the other thing is all these pieces that are become, beginning to come out in the mainstream about the president's lying, except for they can't use the word. They, they have a problem saying that it's at least certainly in the headlines, they can't. Right. They got to talk about his, his misspeaking, his tendency to exaggerate stories, fibs. They can't actually, it's easy to say Trump is a liar. Oh, they right. say that all the well, time. This, it's he funny is, because but... we, we had a long conversation yeah. during the Trump administration because there is a long history of sort of euphemizing the word lie in oh, politics. Sure. So you say he was not honest about that. And look, lying is malicious. So I do want to be careful when I yeah. say that someone's like, like, maybe someone's mistaken, right? Right. But it is fairly no, no. certain that in many cases he is lying. He is a and compulsive liar. He's he, compelled to lie in order to relate to his audience. That's and his again, problem. He said, I got to relate to them. You can't make the argument that we're letting go of the old conventions and we're not euphemizing lie anymore for yeah. one side, but we're not going to do it for the other right. side. Exactly. And really quickly, the, the, the line, the gates of hell, it reminded me of, if you ever watched the British office and David Brent, Ricky Gervais is David Brent, he plays a song to, you know, in front of the office and, and, and you don't know what the song, he, they just cut oh, no. to the last line of the song and it's, she's the serpent who guards the gates of hell. And that's it. That's all you hear. You have no idea what it's about. And it's about a woman. It turns out, look it up on YouTube. It's worth it. David Brent offers Gates of Hell. A couple more notes from the 9-11 anniversary that struck an yeah. odd chord from the Biden administration. The Biden administration, this is Newsweek reporting, faced fierce blowback Monday for praising Saudi Arabia's commitment to President Joe Biden's international infrastructure project on the anniversary of the 2001 attacks that involved 15 Saudi hijackers. This is White yeah. House National Security Council spokesperson Adrian Watson commended Saudi Arabia for participating in a major joint project on the anniversary of 9-11, which like, just like maybe wait a, a day. And then it was announced that the U.S. is moving forward with this deal with Iran that would loosen up $6 billion in frozen funds mm -hmm. in a prisoner swap deal. That news also came down on September 11th. Biden administration has cleared the way for the release of five American citizens detained in Iran by issuing a blanket waiver for international banks to transfer $6 billion in frozen Iranian money from South Korea to Qatar without fear of U.S. sanctions. In addition, as part of the deal, the administration has agreed to release five Iranian citizens held in the United States. So just a, a, a real trifecta. Like they couldn't just exchange the Iranians for the Americans. No, you got to. Uh, Iranians, gotta, oh, Americans, yeah. and six billion. To but that's deal. not but, you all. Know what they Have we no, got a deal for you? That's not all. And uh, not only that, but, but Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, assures us that, you know, that money, is only for humanitarian purposes. Oh, the, well, the Iranians promise yeah, through well, the Qataris, and I'm sure the Qataris are going to really enforce that. So. I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Um, by the way, for uh, the 9/11 anniversary, which we have now missed when this is playing, but I will recommend, as I always do, 
the Nadeau brothers, N-A-D-E-A-U documentary, 9-11, which is, is a, is a, it's a wonderful documentary. It's by two French brothers who were riding with a fire truck that day with a ladder company that went to the Twin Towers. I will say, obviously, these are historical events. There's no really way to spoil them. But in this yeah. documentary, it's not as heavy and devastating as it could be. So you can watch it knowing that the outcome for the for these characters is yeah. not as bad as it could be, which I think makes it easier to take in. It's really a, a wonderful film if you've never seen it. They just happen to be there that day. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Wild. It's amazing. And then I will also say... If you're looking for a way to commemorate or remember, and 22 years later, it can be hard to figure out how to do these things. We are hosting the Travis Manion Foundation, the 9-11 Heroes Runs all around the country. So go to 911heroesrun.com. You can do yeah. a 5K in honor of those we lost, in honor of those who served as part of the 9-11 generation, in honor of first responders in your community. You can meet a bunch yeah. of people. I'll be at one in Oakton. Maybe I'll make Vic come run with me. 911heroesrun.com. <laughs> They're all over the country. I might. Check them out. And then I know we're probably running a little late, but I want to finish with something so funny, Vic. <laughs> just to just, just bring yeah. us up for a second. This is an NPR story. You yeah, ready? NPR. Electric cars have a road trip problem, even for the Secretary of Energy. When Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm set out on a four-day electric vehicle road trip this summer, she knew charging might be a challenge, but she probably didn't expect anyone to call the cops. Granholm's trip throughout the Southeast, from Charlotte, North Carolina, to Memphis, Tennessee, was intended to draw attention to the billions of dollars the White House is pouring into green energy and clean cars, which are run on coal and electricity. The administration's ambitious energy agenda, if successful, could significantly cut U.S. emissions and reshape Americans' lives in fundamental ways, including putting many more people in electric vehicles. There's no citation for that cutting of the uh, emissions. On town hall stops along her road trip, Granholm made passionate, optimistic case for this transition, blah, 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 blah. Things are happening fast. There's a whole lot of filler about how Granholm is a great messenger for this. This is an ambitious yeah. move. But then we get to the but. Between stops, Granholm's entourage at times had to grapple with the limitations of the present. <laughs> the problem is we haven't served her well enough by giving her the future at her, at her right. feet, okay? Like when her caravan of EVs, including a luxury Cadillac Lyric, a hefty Ford F-150, and an affordable Bolt electric utility vehicle, was planning to fast charge in Grovetown, a suburb of Augusta, Georgia. Her advance team realized there weren't going to be enough plugs to go around. One of the station's four chargers was broken and others were occupied. So an energy department staffer tried parking a non-electric vehicle by one of those working chargers to reserve a spot for the approaching Secretary of Energy. That did not go down well. A regular gas-powered car blocking the only free spot for a charger? In fact, a family that was boxed out on a sweltering day with a baby in the vehicle was so upset, they decided to get the authorities involved. They called the police. The sheriff's office couldn't do anything. It's not illegal for a non-EV to claim a charging spot in Georgia. Energy department staff scrambled to smooth over the situation, including sending other vehicles to slower chargers until both the frustrated family and the secretary had room to charge. That is so stupid. And it's sadly not surprising. The Prior to that, like a month or two ago, the CEO of Ford, Farley, he went on a road trip of his own on a F, the same, the F-150 Lightning in Nevada. 
it also did not get very far. I think he waited 45 minutes to charge his battery and it only got up to 40%. And they're trying to encourage people, get on the road. This is great. Get in your EV. You can go everywhere, except you can't. Well, and they want all of us to do it, right? There's no, oh, there's no real, all of real including the United States military about the capacity, even though yeah. clearly we have capacity issues here. There's no yeah. concern about the grid, even though we clearly, clearly have grid issues. They want to transition all of us there very quickly. And the truth is that living in the present as we do, even with an entourage, even with staffers who can go ahead of you to reserve mm -hmm. spots, even with the best of circumstances, right? you are going to end up like an episode of Veep because there's just not enough to make this work. By the way, it yeah. shouldn't be illegal to block an EV plug. So let's hope that they don't like introduce legislation right. for that. In Georgia. I don't know what it's like in other states because I see that at the rest stops in Maryland. And I keep on thinking, what happens if I just park here? And I, well, also just like, that, how is this yeah. not a thing that two humans could work out? Like the staffer, the staffer couldn't just be oh, like, oh my no, gosh, straight out of Veep. Here's a family here. Maybe I should just yeah. move for a few minutes and no. let them charge. Nope, yeah, because, I don't know. For, because for Granholm takes precedence. That's the yes. truth. And they know that it, how long it's going to take to charge. It's not like getting your gas pumped. Yeah. You know, it's going to take a long time. That's the worst part about it was having them block the space with a gas powered car. <laughs> just it really sticks it to you. And I'd like to I just want to point out, you know, one of my reviewers in the weekend Beacon HW Brands reviewed this book, American Journey, which talks about a road trip in 1918 that the naturalist John Burroughs took. Here's a here's a road trip group for you. 1918. In a Model T, John Burroughs with Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. Oh, wow. And they went through the Appalachians. And let me tell you something, probably went better. <laughs> I mean, honestly, look, I've done Ragnar races before. Are you familiar with this? Mm -mm. A Ragnar race is a relay where you have 10 or 12 people and they each run about 20 miles and you do a 200-mile race. Of course you would do this. Are you racing in vehicles? <laughs> no, no, no. This is people. And you do it. There's one hood to coast is the most famous okay. one in Oregon, right. where you go from the top of Mount Hood to the coast of Oregon. It's very beautiful. Anyway, you have about 12 runners or so. Yeah. And you have a support van that follows you with, you know, your food right, with, for safety. And so they know where you are at all times. Yeah. So that 200 miles takes 24 hours to cover because you're running it and you have a support van. So all that the Secretary of Energy and the Biden administration are asking is that you do every 200 miles of your life like a Ragnar relay with a support van to yes. be there that's to it. block spaces. Yeah. And by the way, that support van will be gas powered because that's what works to get that you is, the yeah. 200 miles. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what they want. For all of us. It's going to be great. The future Wonderful. is so bright. Wonderful. All right. Okay. I did want to end, and before we end the show, which was, a, this is like a double bonus episode, by the way, but I did want to end on some sad news. A good friend of mine and, and Mary Catherine Newman as well, Terry Eastland, who was the former publisher of the Weekly Standard, formerly of the American Spectator and of Forbes Digital. He passed away this morning as we're recording this. He was a Texan. He was a very decent human being, kind and generous. And he, at some point, we stopped getting raises at the standard, but he always did his best to try to get me a little bump. He would always tell me, you know, come that time of the year, he said he would always try. And I always remembered him for that kindness. And he had a very wry wit. He was a basketball player. He was editor of the Hustler newspaper 
in Vanderbilt, which is not like Hustler Magazine. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. Our friend Mike Warren was also at the Hustler, different place. So he loved his Dr. Pepper. I was going to say, loved the Braves, and they're having a great season. I hope they win for him. A, a true Texan. And by the way, his ancestor was actually killed by Santa Ana. No way. Yeah, like real. And Eastland County is named after that uh, ancestor. He also served as Attorney General Ed Meese's spokesman. And Meese had asked him to step down. But before he stepped down, he still had to hold a press conference, even though he was getting fired. And you can go to C-SPAN and look up Terry Eastland, and you'll find this amazing video from that time because Terry handles it with such a plum. The, the, the crazy cartoonist, Herb Block, actually did a whole cartoon in the post about Terry and Meese. But I just want to say it was the definition of, of dignity and character in a town that often lacks both. Yeah. And that wraps up this episode of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you could follow me on Twitter at Victory Nematis. Thank you for that tribute. It is sad, sad day. He was a kind, gregarious Christian guy, great yeah, family was. man, a pleasure to be around. So he will be missed. I'm at MK Hammer on Twitter at MK Hammer Time on Instagram. If you want to run with me, www.911heroesrun.com. Please come out. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. Thank you.